welcome to another episode of Elephant Out the Room, featuring your host, not in the studio today, Alex Lewis, and a return for Patrick Burton. Hi guys, I didn't deserve the studio treatment, so we're doing it in Alex's room <laughs> instead. That's partly, yeah, I guess that's partly because when you live together, it's just not that incentive to... We've got a bit of a COVID situation as well, so mm, yeah. keeping it tight, keeping it in the building. Keeping it safe, mm-hmm. most important thing. We have a very exciting topic to discuss today. It's one that I've wanted to do for quite a long time. I've probably brought it up in the podcast before. And it is, of course, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes. So I think I want to start off by asking you, because we've spoken in the past when we've been commenting on... um, Let's give you an example. So Steven Spielberg released the film West Side Story and it just didn't do as well as it probably should have and could have. Mm. And one of your reasons that you cited for that was due to the... What, what's happened in the film industry with, with things like Marvel and just the fact that if it's not a franchise, it won't succeed. So do you want to talk a little bit about how Marvel slotted into things in, in I'd say, maybe the last 15 years? Yeah, Marvel has become quite a enigma, actually, because before the MCU formed, we never really had one of these big, sprawling universes that have lasted so long. And since it kind of broke through with Iron Man, we've seen a lot of studios try and recreate it. Like, I think it was Universal tried to do like a Monsters Universe with The Mummy with Tom Cruise, which bombed hard. So that was a <laughs> failed attempt at trying to like recreate the MCU. And yeah, it. I love the MCU, but it has followed a bit of a trend in Hollywood and just funding these massive blockbusters. And we don't really see mid-budget movies anymore. They're either dirt cheap, like, cost like a couple million dollars for, like, independent films, or have these massive $200 million budgets. There's not really a market for anything in between because people don't know how to promote something that isn't attached to an IP or a brand. And, yeah, it's a bit of a risk to maybe make a movie with a $50 million budget as we saw with Ridley Scott's The Last Duel, which is a massive name director, great actors, a big epic full of action that just didn't make a single like dollar at the box office. Like Nobody saw it. Wow. Is so, it, was that anything to do with marketing, do you think? Or? I don't... Yeah, that goes down to the studio as well. They don't think that anyone's going to see it, so they don't even bother trying to market it. So it's just like a self-fulfilling prophecy almost. And it means that the movies coming out today are quite limited in what we see. Definitely. We see a lot of the same things and you can easily recognise that and follow... Films tend to follow the same pattern of uh, of a story, for example. With with the idea, with this idea of uh, a franchise then, do you know... So can you think of any early examples of this? I think the first early example was Star Wars with the original trilogy which was a massive box office success and they really capitalised on the world building there to go on and make the prequels and like the recent trilogy as well so it's a big sprawling universe of sorts that has gone on for decades now but I I think superhero films themselves never really came into the mainstream until the 2000s with Spider-Man and X-Men and once studios saw that they had potential they were able to rein in all these characters from all the comic books. And with endless like stories there, it was easy to make a universe out of it. 
was Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy very influential and almost the start of when superhero movies were kind of taken seriously? Yeah, definitely. It's one of the most important comic book films of all time and maybe one of the most important films in shaping the Hollywood landscape today. Because before then, superhero films were a joke, really. We had, like, the early Batman in the 60s, the superhero Superman films, sorry, were quite popular. But again, it was quite cheesy and campy. Nobody really thought they were serious cinema. But with Sam Raimi's craft, he managed to create a couple of really great films that people saw potential in. So when do you think, because I, I particularly want to focus on this kind of Marvel Cinematic Universe, and when I, when I say that I mean that there's kind of a list of around, I think it might be 25 films, let's say, and then you've also got a few side films and a, a few series that are generally considered to be part of this whole universe that kind of starts in 2008 with Iron Man and finishes up in a, in a sense with uh, Endgame in, mm. I think, 2019. So that's what I wanted to focus on. But how do you think Marvel came to this kind of thing? Like, obviously, were they producing films before Iron Man, I assume, and then... Yeah, Marvel has been a studio for a lot longer than the MCU formed. And, yeah, it was Iron Man that they saw that they could maybe interweave the movies together to create, like, a bigger narrative. And I think it was The Hulk where it ended with Iron Man in the end credits... And that really sparked the idea that they could interweave these characters and have different characters in the same movies to create, yeah, a bigger universe. Okay. And so do you think they, they envisaged such a... Uh, because for me, when I'm speaking to people, it, it seems like such a unique and momentous feat that they've achieved um, in, in what they've done. Is, would you think that was envisaged? I don't think it was. I think... When we look at it now, it seems like quite an obvious thing to do. Like, yeah, of course, we've got all these superheroes. They're all in the same movies. They all work together. But, like, around the Iron Man time, I think it was quite an experiment. Like, it had never been done before. So I think they kind of just went along with it and saw, yeah, see where it went. And then it gradually turned into this, like, Goliath of a series. So I, I don't necessarily, you know, need to talk about each individual film. I think it's definitely worth highlighting some of the better ones, some of the not so good ones, and maybe just looking at the character development as a whole and among other things. So I think I'll start off by asking you, um, in terms of a, so you, you watch a lot of films very critically, how, how do you think the Marvel films are when you look at the editing, the acting, the kind of things that you tend to analyse in films? How do you think they stand up in comparison to some of the best films made? Well, they do differ. I think the main thing that they get criticised for is they're quite formulaic in mainly the filmmaking. Like They don't have a lot of visual panache or a lot of style, especially the weaker ones. They kind of have very flat lighting, very standard cinematography. There's not much to distinguish any, like, personality. Like, you can't really see the director coming through. As we said with Sam Raimi's Spider-Man films, it was a Sam Raimi film. You could see how his work on The Evil Dead came through in there in his editing style. But with a lot of the MCU films, it's hard to see the director's influence. Like, they do feel like company-made 
like products and is that in part because they almost are because it seems to me that mm. you know we've spoken before some studios are kind of even some studios even direct the director so they don't necessarily get the free reign that some directors want yeah that's the problem with having a universe is they've got to kind of work together in some way so they've got to fit a mold of sorts if they were all radically different as cool as that would be it wouldn't feel like a universe it'd feel like a disjointed collection of films so you've kind of got a like balance it. it's like a balancing act between making something that is actually a good film and having it work together with everything else can you comment on the do, do you know many of the directors that took part in the, the universe i do but you can't really see their influence okay i think james gunn on the guardians films has probably the most distinct style He's, his like usual comedy especially shines through. And he's got a bit more style in his visuals. I think the Russo brothers have made a lot of great MCU films with Civil War and the Captain America ones. With a lot of gritty action, a lot of handheld camera work, which makes them stand out a bit more. I but d- as we work down my hierarchy, the ones at the bottom especially, I've got no idea who directed those because they've got like no style whatsoever. Yeah, before we go into the bottom films, I think I just... Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy is a fantastic point because I almost... I, I've shown that to my family before and I'd recommend that Guardians of the Galaxy 1 is a standalone film um, that you don't have to know the other films. I think it's I think it's really unique in, in what it does. Uh, I love the use of music uh, particularly because the main character is basically has a journey where he's not not on Earth but he listens to a lot of Earth music, particularly from the 70s or early 80s when he was taken so i just love that i i I really love those films and it's you can literally see the director's personality shining through Mm. i think so to to talk about the the boss obviously as a whole we absolutely love the the universe but it would be uh it'd be silly not to focus on some of the work that hasn't been quite as good so we can look at it and maybe work out why that is so what what kind of your bottom films that just don't quite match the others well, I think the recent Eternals was dreadful. Even though I think Chloe Zhao, the director, is quite a distinct style. She made Nomadland, which I didn't like, but she still has quite a great like look to her films, lovely long takes, wide-angle photography. But it was so dry. It, it had like none of the energy or fun of the other films. And it tried to do like a Guardians thing as having these characters you don't quite know, like a ragtag group of intergalactic like, people, but had none of the fun, none of the action. Just really dry. It's di- it is difficult introducing a new world and new characters, but it yeah, as you said, it didn't seem like it was done particularly well. No, yeah, I'm trying to think of the story now, but I don't think I can. <laughs> yeah. Really grey. Another problem with that is, um, well, I haven't seen it, and one of the reasons was, as I'll probably say at the end of the podcast, I think that the universe was so good, so amazing to me, and I was so engaged in it that I I just can't... I I don't want to go through another one, um, as as weird as that sounds. I don't want to be introduced to Shang-Chi or the Eternals, and, you know, maybe maybe one day I will watch those films. Yeah, I think there definitely was fatigue after Endgame. It was such a great finale where everything seemed to be wrapped up. 
And Marvel didn't really respond to that by <laughs> limiting the amount of films <laughs> no. they put out. You'd think they'd maybe give like a three to four year hiatus, but no, they kept on pummeling us with more movies. I think this year alone we had four series and three movies. Yeah, maybe I mean, even four movies. Oh, it's ridiculous. I've seen most of them still because I, <laughs> I still want to be in the loop. Mm. And there have been good ones. I like Shang-Chi. I like the new Spider-Man. But yeah, Eternals and Black Widow were just nothing films. They didn't add anything. And they just seemed like they got produced to capitalise on the name MCU. Yeah, and it's partly just that, that whole business model. You know, that you can just imagine the, the people at the top thinking, well, this works. Let's keep firing it out. Mm. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Endgame and Infinity They won't War. stop until it stops becoming lucrative. Mm. I can see this going on for another 15 years. Definitely. Until we eventually get tired. Well, we see how much money the new Spider-Man made. Oh, God. I think it's like the fifth biggest film of all time. During COVID times as well. Wow, yeah. It's like, they're not going to stop. On the... The other films at the bottom of your list include four that were quite early on in the series. So you've got two Thor films, Thor 1 and 2, The Incredible Hulk film and Iron Man 2. So why do you think those films, and, and is there any similarity in that they're all quite near the start of the universe? Yeah, I think Marvel only started like really getting great around like phase 2, phase 3. I don't. I'm not entirely sure when the phases start yeah. and end, but yeah. I think the earlier films they're still trying to find a footing. Like they didn't quite develop the standard Marvel humor yet, which no. I think is something that I really enjoy anyway. All the films normally have quite good witty comedy. Sometimes it's overdone, but especially in like Thor Ragnarok, great sense of humor. And like yeah, Iron Man two and the four films just didn't don't have any sense of fun which I really want in the end of the day. I don't want this gritty, like, Shakespearean drama like in Thor. It's just not... It's a little bland, both Thor films, Very bland, especially the second one. I'm struggling to remember what happens, yeah. Mm. And I do like the darker tone in, like, an endgame because it's earned, like, there's high stakes. But in Thor (laughs) 2, it's like nobody really cares. Yeah. Just have a bit of fun with it. It's like a guy flying around with a hammer... You don't have to try and be this, like, groundbreaking, cinematic, like, film. Yeah. And then, obviously, no, I completely agree with, with those choices. I just remember kind of watching them near the start, and I think they're still trying to find the feet and, and the right balance. And... Yeah, I've got more forgiveness towards those than, like, an Eternals. Yeah. Because I, I think it wasn't out of laziness. They just didn't quite know what they wanted to do before. And I think they really nailed that character in Ragnarok. Really leaning into like the campy, spacey sci-fi. Yeah. So in the middle of the list, you've got a few TV series um, or kind of side series in, in Loki and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, as well as uh, Division, actually. So are you? How, how did you find the, the, the spin-off series, if you will? Uh, generally underwhelming. I I think I enjoyed most of what it offered. For a start, the production value on these TVs is amazing. Like we've got to the point where CGI and visual effects rival that in movies. Like it could have been an eight-hour film, really. The production value was amazing. But again, it seems like they're in another transitional period, Marvel, where they don't quite know what they want to do yet. 
because the series were a bit directionless. They didn't quite have a like a focused through line. They seemed to just be yeah, dicking about for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it'll take another few years before they decide what they really want to do with the next stage. Yeah, I think the TV needs to offer a bit more for the viewer to latch on to. There were quite a few people I spoke to, and I include myself in this, that I wasn't necessarily ready for a Marvel series. I've always felt that they've suited... The superhero style has suited a a short 120-minute film Mm. uh, as opposed to a series that you really engage with. I I find series a lot more... I I like an introduction of a new world and new characters and not quite that superhero vibe, to be honest. I really liked WandaVision, actually. At least the first half of WandaVision because it felt like it was experimenting. I don't know if you know too much about it, but it had the format of going through, like, the decades of TV and presenting, like, uh, what's the name? Scarlet Witch Mm. and Vision in, like, a 50s TV programme, then the 60s and 70s, and really playing around with that aesthetic and, like, the tropes from that era. And that was really interesting. But what sadly happened by the end of the series is it just like devolved into the typical Marvel action. <laughs> so it didn't really commit to what it promised, which was very disappointing. So it just kind of feels like Marvel wants to experiment but can't quite commit because they don't want to like deter their viewers the away. Co- yeah. Which is kind of what happened with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It just had nothing new to offer. And just, yeah, by the end of it, it just kind of... You already knew... Like, if I don't want to spoil it, but Sam becomes Captain America, which I thought happened in Endgame. Like, Cap gave the shield to Sam. Yeah. So it's like the whole series was building to that, and we already knew what knew the information. So It feels, yeah, it feels like, I don't want to say lazy writing, but it just feels that like it's quite obvious sometimes what happens in, in Marvel films. In order to... We've mentioned Iron Man... Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor in order to get to the end point that they did which is Infinity War and Endgame they needed to introduce a lot of different characters um, to to really hit home and make sure that Infinity War wasn't too complicated for the viewer so that's why we had films such as Doctor Strange Captain Marvel Black Panther and Ant-Man those are quite a few examples of I mean, there was an Ant-Man and the Wasp as well, but where we kind of got a whole film where we could just focus on that one character, maybe get to know them and have a bit of an emotional attachment. How did you feel that those films were... I mean, they were kind of sitting in the middle, roughly, of the list there. Uh, Yeah. I I really like Doctor Strange. And it's a weird one with Marvel because you kind of want them to just be standalone films to focus on that character, really getting to know them. But you've become, like, conditioned to expect, like, interactions and inclusions with the other characters. Like, with the new Spider-Man, you got Doctor Strange popping up. And that's kind of what you've come to expect. So when you get a whole film just with, like, Captain Marvel or just with Ant-Man, if you don't really love those characters, it's not going to work for you. I didn't really like Captain Marvel herself, so what we needed was, like another fun character to come in, like maybe someone from Guardians of the Galaxy. So, yeah. That's a good point. And it's really nice when you see a Captain America film where you see, I can't remember Samuel Jackson's character. 
His name? Yeah. Nick Fury. Nick Fury. So when you see Nick Fury pop up in different films, and um, yeah, I just like that I the idea of a bit of crossover, Captain America Civil War, nearly all of them there. So it is nice. We have spoken about the original Spider-Man films, and then we had the infamous Andrew Garfield <laughs> films, which now look better in my eyes based on his recent performance. He did redeem them yeah. with his unbelievable addition to the new Spider-Man. Definitely. Um, then came along, and I wasn't expecting this. I wasn't too into Marvel at the time, but so we had three Spider-Mans, two Andrew Garfield, and then a Tom Holland one came along, and I thought, hey, we've already had kind of two already, and then I then realised it's part of this cinematic universe. How did they differ from the Spider-Mans that went before? I think uh, the Tom Holland Spider-Man, for a start, were more like high-tech, like... The suits were like very stark inspired. Yeah, with a lot more gadgets and different like nanotechnology, which I don't really like too much. <laughs> I like it kind of stripped down, like in the Sam Raimi when he's just kind of made his own suit. Literally, and coming out of his skin as well. Yeah, they are a bit more childish. They're kind of, yeah, quite campy and goofy. But I think what they really nailed with Tom Holland is he feels like a kid. Like, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield look like full-grown adults, even though they're meant to be high school students. <laughs> but Tom Holland, even though he's he is older, he looks like a child. <laughs> like, you can believe that he is more vulnerable, as we saw with a couple of scenes in Homecoming, when he was, like, kind of crushed by a lot of building debris. There was a great scene where he kind of transitioned from a boy to a man. Yeah, so I think... That through line's been good. Seeing Tom Holland go from, like, a child and by the end of... What's the new one called, sorry? No Way Home. He's kind of grown and matured into a man. Yeah, he's had to deal with a lot of the stakes of being Spider-Man. Like, I think everyone's seen it by now, but Aunt May dying really helped develop his character. So I think, yeah, character-wise, it's been really solid. It's more like, yeah, the high-tech suits which doesn't really work for me at all. That's true. I think there was a certain... I had a certain bias, and I really liked the original films with, like, the Spider-Man 2 scene with the the train scene, which is just an unbelievable superhero movie scene. And then it took me a while to get to like Tom Holland's films, but in the first one of Homecoming, there was a real shock when he got round to the girl he was seeing to pick her up. And oh, the, yeah. the dad of the girl who he was seeing was, the, in fact, the baddie that he'd been following and Yeah, the vulture, chasing. Michael Keaton. Yeah, that's that was one of terrifying. my favourite moments in the MCU. Did you expect it? I didn't know. Homecoming is quite a safe and predictable film for the most part, even though I like it. But, yeah, that twist is, is great. All the suspense in the car as they drive to the homecoming dance. It's just a great build of tension. And it's those moments that I really remember from the MCU. It's less the films as a whole, but more like those little moments that just make your nerd, nerdy tingles <laughs> go all over your body, like the airport fight at oh, Civil yeah. War. Um, yeah, it's more of like a moment universe than films themselves. Before we go in, because it'd be good actually to discuss our, our best moments as well, but uh, a pretty landmark time of the of the universe was Avengers and there was four Avengers films overall they definitely got better I I really liked number one I thought Age of Ultron was good at times I don't think it was as engaging and then obviously you can go into three and four but how do you think they they started out do you think it was a really good culmination of the characters that we'd met so far 
Yeah, I think they were patient. Like, I don't think they... I think they had Iron Man and Thor and a couple other films before they had The Avengers, which was a smart move. And they limited the characters to just maybe five or six, which, again, was really clever instead of throwing it all at the wall. Yeah, Avengers was big and, like, fantastical, but it wasn't overwhelming. Like, it still felt grounded. And I think we can compare this to, like, the failure of the DC universe. Ooh, I was waiting for DC to be <laughs> yeah, brought up. Yeah, which is just pales in comparison with their Justice League film, which they rushed into without developing Aquaman, without developing The Flash. Because they did the films Without after. developing Cyborg. Oh. So without that development, Justice League fell flat on its face and everyone hated it. <laughs> Because they didn't give it enough time to develop the characters even in Justice League itself. So I think there's a real lack of planning with DC that with Marvel just has to be commended. Like Kevin Feige, the director, not the director, the producer, sorry. He's always had a plan and he's always known when it's best to introduce characters and what the end goal is. And I think that planning has really helped it seem like succinct and... And yeah, work together. So by the end of Endgame, where everyone's there, like hundreds of characters, it doesn't feel just overwhelming. It feels earned because all those characters have been developed in the other movies and it's so satisfying. And that satisfaction just lacks in DC. Completely correct. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, so to touch on in Infinity War in particular, so this is my favourite film of the whole universe. Yeah, same. Ah, yeah, that's fantastic that we, we both agree on that one. But uh, I just don't remember going to a cinema. I think I was maybe 20, 21 at the time. I, I don't remember her coming out with such a... Or even actually being in that film with just such an intense experience. I couldn't, I couldn't look away from the screen. I couldn't believe that... So for those who have seen it, I'm sure most of you have, the it starts off literally with just... An, in the first five minutes, there's a death... It's incredible, and it it just you see the raw power of Thanos, and you become immediately terrified of him. And then throughout, just all these characters having to deal with these threats. Um, the scale of the threat is incredible. Mm. The the screen time that Thanos gets, and the the way he's presented in in such a way that I think is one of the best enemies I've ever seen. Because you can kind of commend him to some point, to some yeah. respects. You can understand him definitely. Infinity War is just everything that a Marvel film should be. Like, it's got all the characters you love, but I think it's got a bit more with the filmmaking as well. Like, as you said in that opening scene, it's actually really well made. Like, the cinematography is so, like, immersive, and the score especially oh, yeah. by Alan Silvestri is one of the best in the series. Yeah, and it is Thanos as a villain that just carries it through. He's the best villain, in my opinion. Because, yeah, you do... He does have a motive, like, you can see where he's coming from. He just wants to, like, sustain the universe. Like, it's been just... Being, it's like eroding because of overpopulation. And his experience, was it his, his planet, Titan? Yeah, he's, yeah. Got a, he's got a personal relationship with Gamora as well, which is very heartfelt, and he has to make that sacrifice midway through the film, which you can see really deeply affects him. So he's quite, yeah, empathetic in that way. Yeah, and some of the action, especially with how the Infinity Stones are used, is so creative. Wow. Yeah. With like, especially like the tran, yeah, the transformation of the characters and stuff like that. 
Yeah, the and the end the end fight scene is is incredible. Just as you said, you mentioned nerd tingles, mm. bit of goosebumps at the end when yeah. everyone comes together. It has that weight to it as well. You feel that gut punch by the end where it feels like yeah, there's no way to come back from this. Yeah, which sets Endgame up beautifully. The end at the end, you walk out and I just couldn't believe what I saw. I didn't think it would particularly have a bad ending. To be honest, mm. I don't know. You might have expected a little more like yeah negativity, but. I think I heard somewhere that the Marvel writers have a process of writing themselves into a corner and then trying to work their way out of that. Like, they purposefully <laughs> do that. So they didn't really know where to go after Infinity War, but they wanted to find out how to do that in a creative way. So, yeah, it's taking risks as well. We Yeah, then we obviously moved on to Endgame, which I'd always gone into it with, I, ca- I can't see this being better it wasn't in my opinion but it it was still upon a second or third rewatch it was still very good i it just lacks the uh and it's not its fault because the other one was was so well put together it for me it lacked the pace and the emotion and it was a bit stoppy stopping and starting yeah Yeah, clunky it's a bit messy in Mm. its continuity as well yeah like it sets up some rules to do with time traveling and i think whenever you introduce time traveling you're at risk yeah because it's so hard to do and make sense. Like, I think there's only a couple of films that do it accurately, like 12 Monkeys, I think is pretty tight. But every other film that's done time travel just doesn't work. And I wouldn't mind if they kind of just like brushed it to the side and didn't really care about the specifics. But they try so hard to explain how it works like in great detail for a good half an hour. <laughs> When if you think about it, it doesn't work. <laughs> and whenever you introduce time travel, it means that whoever dies doesn't really die because Gamora comes back at the end. And you're like, just commit to the death. Like, it doesn't... So you lose the weight. And Thanos isn't as compelling in this one. Unfortunately not. Because it is a different Thanos. Like, he comes from an alternate timeline. And he doesn't actually know any of the characters. Oh, yeah. In the fight at the end, he says, I don't even know you, to Captain America. And like, I don't understand choices like that because it's meant to be a great back and forth. And, yeah. It's meant to be meaning for Thanos as well. Yeah, I still really like the film, though. Mm. I know it sounds negative, but it is a great conclusion. It's got some really interesting takes on, obviously, what happens to Thor and, in particular, Hulk as well. Some really nice and funny moments. I really like how they explore the aftermath of Infinity War as well. Like, you see Captain America in, like, a support group, which I think is exactly what he'd do. Like, he's not just going to give up trying to help the community. He's going to try and, yeah, be an upstanding citizen still. And everyone's suffering. I like that darker side to Marvel now and again. <laughs> wow, a bit dark. Um, <laughs> so what do you think your best moment was from the whole series? From MCU? It's got to be the end of Endgame, where he says Marvel uh, Avengers Assemble and they've got the Doctor Strange portals and everyone's coming through. It's just unbelievable. It's, uh, it was like sensory overload. Yeah. I probably let out a little squeal. <laughs> One of the best moments in movie history. I know that's going to sound very mainstream or franchise I don't know what the word is, but it's just an incredible moment. Or the introduction of Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield in the new Spider-Man. <clears throat> that was amazing as well. So surreal. 
it was just like it was an out of body experience seeing all three on the screen. Very good. Very very cool. Any particular moments that you didn't like or that you thought that could have been done better? Uh, one that comes to mind is in Captain Marvel. We like we never know how Nick Fury lost his eye, and it's always been a big mystery in one. In one film, I think he says, the last time I trust someone, I lost an eye. And it builds this, like, mystique around the character. He never really knows backstory. But in Captain Marvel, they revealed that he just got scratched by a cat. And you're like, what? It's played as a joke. <laughs> but you're like... You're just like... Oh. Bit of a waste. Bit of a waste. Captain Marvel's crap. <laughs> yeah, you'd certainly not a fan of that one. No, it's nothing to do with girl power, whatever. Whenever you say you hate films like this, people just automatically assume it's gender-based. No, it's just it's not just a good trash. film. <laughs> it's just like Ocean it's 13. It's just trash. I love Wonder Woman. Mm. Yeah, I just don't like Captain Marvel. Let's have a look if then see if there are any negatives from... Because I, I think there are the extreme amount of pos- positives that Marvel have encompassed by by their massive rise in the last 15 years. A friend of mine sent a video, uh, I think you might have seen it, that Martin Scorsese comments on the, the Marvel franchise. Do you think that there have been, and if if so, what are the negatives that have come about, particularly to her independent filmmaking? I think it's less independent filmmaking. I think, as I've said, low-budget films are being made because they're less risk. Like Especially horror films, they're really exceeding at the moment because they can be made for a very small budget and get a return. It's more the mid-budget films that we were used to in like the 90s. Like We had a lot of great action movies in the 90s that aren't really being made anymore because if it's not attached to an IP or a brand then it's not going to make money. So, yeah, it's damaging in that way because we're losing that range in films we're seeing. But with the Martin Scorsese thing, I don't know why it ever became a controversy because why would Scorsese like Marvel? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. He's one of the most experimental and renowned directors of all time. He's like 76. He's not going to love Marvel. No. And his comments weren't even that damaging. He does said it's less cinema and more like a theme park ride, which I agree fair with. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> theme park rides are fun, and Marvel's fun. It's not great cinema. It's not going to make you rethink your, rethink the world and your philosophy. You're just going to go in, have a great time, and get out. <laughs> I agree. What do you think is next for Marvel? You mentioned that they've, they've probably got a quite a big future ahead. Well, I would have had a three-year break after Endgame <laughs> anyway, which they declined to do. But I think the next step is introducing more interesting characters, which I think they did with Shang-Chi. I think it's time to get out with the old, in with the new, and help develop like a new set of characters. Because I think we've got a new Thor film, a new Guardians film coming out, which I'm very excited for. But we've seen enough of these characters at this point. Like there's enough, there's not enough there to keep you, like invested. So I think we need to experiment, experiment with new styles and new directors, giving them more of an artistic voice, yeah, and just mixing up a bit, and just limit the output really. Yeah, <laughs> I think slightly. we're fine with two films a year and maybe a series. We don't need more than that anymore, and you just stop, stop caring. 
I think that that's a great point because it's uh, the reason why I don't like a lot of reality or even maybe soaps or TV series that are particularly. Um, let's say, for example, starting a TV series with eight seasons, it does put me off somewhat. I think that it's nice to have uh, periods where you don't see... I mean, Game of Thrones is an example where there was um, maybe over a year break, and that made me love the show even more because I was was waiting and I was so uh, excited to see what was going to happen. So I think if it's released, there's too many and there's too much, uh, it's a bit of an overload and you might not be as attached. Yeah, it's the same things happening with Star Wars at the moment. I used to get so gassed for new Star Wars coming out because there's like a two-year break. But now we're getting like a series every other month, loads of content on Disney+. Plus. I haven't, even, I haven't even checked out The Book of Boba Fett. Apparently it's not very good. <laughs> it's like I don't... You just limit it. It's become too saturated and you start to resent something you originally loved. And that's quite sad. And it's all for all the, for the chili cheese. There we go, the Wonga. It always comes back to the money. <laughs> it really does, doesn't <laughs> it? Really doesn't does. It? Every time we have a chat about, we film. live in a capitalist society, people. <laughs> <laughs> Final question: I, the Marvel films have influenced me hugely. I would say they have been. I go on the, on about them a lot. I have some really good moments. I've seen a lot of them. I've enjoyed going to the cinema to see them. I like talking about them, seeing the superheroes. I like listening to the music. That's something that we haven't entirely mentioned, but the music's great. Um, yeah. Separate note. So what, what's what been the main influences for you? That I've taken from the MCU? Yeah. Uh, I can't see it inspiring me <laughs> to on, make on an artistic level. <laughs> Because I've never envisioned myself making a blockbuster film. Of course, it's near impossible to do at the level I'm working at anyway. But yeah, I think it's more inspired me to go back to the cinema more. I guess I look forward to those event movies and getting all my friends and family together to go watch it. So I guess it's... Yeah, does influence me in that way. Looking forward to the big screen experience rather than myself personally. I don't take much away from the films on a deep level. It's often quite surface level, like enjoyment. But yeah, it has definitely made my life happier. I've enjoyed watching the films with my family. We always like to settle down on a Sunday afternoon and watch one. So yeah, I'm glad it's in my life. It just needs to... Stop. <laughs> it needs to stop or mix it up or change it a bit because it's getting a bit tired at this point. So, yeah, that's my message to Marvel. Lovely. They're, they're probably not listening. Well, no, I'll send it over to them, see what they think. They always like a bit of feedback, I'm sure. Yeah. And I was, I was going to suggest that at the end of Marvel films is usually that bit of the trailers. I was going to say we could do something like that. <laughs> but I think we'll, we'll end it here for now. Yeah. Thank you for coming back on it's really good episode some really interesting points that you you bring up and it's yeah it's great to talk about mm. finally talk about marvel yeah cool i'm sure you'll be on again soon to talk about films coming up this year yeah i hope so variety. i enjoy it lovely see you then okay see you later